This morning, our gospel comes from the passage of Luke. It is a reminder to us that Jesus was a person for people. And for those of you who knew Mary, she was a person for people. And Jesus' desire as those who are called to love and to serve him, that we would do that for others. And we saw that in the life of Mary. So as we hear these words from the Gospel of Luke, may we be reminded of the saint who lived into those, of the cloud of witnesses that she is a part of, that has shown us the way of faithfulness of to, faithfulness to Christ. Comes from Luke in the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 11. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the son of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid, for now you'll be fishing for people. As soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. The word of the Lord. This happens to me every time. Am I on now, Carl? Great. Good morning. Let's just take a moment to be quiet and take a deep breath so that we can really hear from God this morning. Uh, it's hard right now as we're all very distracted. Um, so just join me in just a, a moment of silence here and, and ask God to quiet your heart. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that you are in this space with us. We thank you that you dwell among us in all of the complexities of life. And we ask now that we could quiet our hearts and our minds and be open to the message of your spirit. May we feel your presence in a powerful way. Thank you, Lord, for gathering us, for the fact that we can be together and comfort each other and comfort others with the comfort you've given us. And now, Lord, may my words be your words and my thoughts be your thoughts. In your name we pray, amen. 
Well, this morning we are looking at, as Pastor Elise read, the call to Simon Peter and all of us actually to follow Jesus. Now, before we get into our text, though, I did want to give an explanation of our series that we began back in September. As Pastor John referred to last week, we are uh, in the narrative lectionary, which is a four-year cycle, and if you're a teacher, think scope and sequence, uh, that sweep the biblical story from creation to the early church. The readings show the breadth and variety of voices in scripture, and we hear stories of Abraham and Sarah, Moses and the prophets, and Jesus and Paul. The stories tell of hope, and disappointment, suffering, and redemption. And we see God dealing with the complexities of human life. These are ancient texts, but their relevance is very important to us today. And that's why we titled our series, God's Story, Finding Your Story in God's Story, because there is application for us. Now, because we, as John said last week, we have a set preaching schedule, you will see a link in the bulletin from Friday to look at all the different readings through the end of May. So you can read ahead if you want and be prepared for what you'll be hearing on Sunday. But because they're set, we sign up for a a week as far as our preaching, and so we just get that uh, set of verses. And what I think is interesting about how I got this set of verses is that God must really have a sense of humor because this scene of fishing, I do not like seafood. I do not like the taste of it, the smell of it. I don't like the texture of it. And yet here we have the scene of all this fish in the net and I can just smell what that must be like. Well, There are two places in the grocery store that I tend to avoid. It's the pet food aisle and the seafood aisle. And so I, uh, anyway, that's, that's my thing. But I have two exceptions because I'm a complicated person. I will eat tuna and I will eat shrimp, but prepared only certain ways. Tuna in tuna casserole, because I'm from the Midwest, and a tuna fish sandwich. I'm good with that. Shrimp in shrimp creole or cold prawns. I'm good with that. That's it. Well, our story today is also found in Matthew and Mark. However, Matthew and Mark focus on the call of the disciples, and they do not record this fishing story of all the fish being caught in the nets. Just Luke does that. There's a lot of lessons that we could uh, extract from this, these verses in 1 through 11, but what I want to focus on today is how uh, Luke talked about catching people. Now, the difference between catching and fishing, I want to talk about this because the word catch in Luke, it's a Greek word, and the, the word in Matthew and Mark is actually a different word, and it means to fish. So, in Luke's gospel, We'll get to that in a minute. Luke's Gospel, this is not the first encounter that Peter has with Jesus. You see, back in chapter 4, Jesus has been to Peter's house, and he has healed Peter's mother-in-law. And perhaps that's why Peter was, and his name is Simon at this point, 
Perhaps that's why he was so willing to let Jesus use his fishing boat to continue to teach the crowds. Well, uh, I think about that program, Deadliest Catch. Any of you watch that program where they're fishing up in the Alaskan waters and it's a, it's a big, messy, horrible uh, job that they do and they're bringing in crabs and all kinds of things on this boat and it's, it's fascinating to me. Anyway, that's what I'm reminded of when I think of Peter and his, the other disciples on the boat. They've been out all night and they have nothing to show for it. So Jesus says to Peter, I want you to go back out and do what you just did, and you must wonder, what is Peter thinking? All he wants to do is clean those nets, go home, and get a good night's sleep. He must have been thinking, why are you asking me to do this? I'm the professional fisherman, you're a carpenter, stay in your lane, Jesus. But instead, he says, all right, I'm going to do it. Have you ever had that same kind of thought? Lord, why are you asking me to fill in the blank? Either he's asking you to do something that hasn't worked before, or he's asking you to do something that seems impossible. Now, I have to admit that I, on many occasions, have said to Jesus, I don't think you understand the situation here. Let me try to explain to you why that won't work. I know. It, it never is a good idea. Maybe it's going back to a person to restore a relationship that's been broken. Maybe it's saying yes to a ministry or a vocation that you are not qualified for or you really don't even have an interest in. Well, Simon appeases Jesus and does exactly what he tells him to. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Well, we know what happens next. The nets are so full that they begin to break. And Simon is so overwhelmed that he falls on his knees in a posture of total humbleness because he's so overwhelmed. I believe this is exactly what Jesus wanted Simon Peter to grasp. Jesus was preparing him to be the first leader of the church. And leaders can only lead if they recognize that there's no earthly skill or knowledge that makes up for a deep understanding of who Jesus is and who they are. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, meaning anything of eternal value. Now, we need to note here that this life-changing experience of Peter's did not have him arrive. He still went through life making mistakes and not following Jesus perfectly, but this was one event of many that built his faith to prepare him for what would come later. And isn't that the way it is with us? We look back on our life and we see different times when God intervened, when God did something miraculous, and yet we tend to forget about that a short time later, and then something else happens, and that's what builds our faith over the long haul. It's the same for us. So Jesus responds to Peter by saying, don't be afraid, for now you are going to be catching people. Verses 10 through 11 are what we're going to really focus on today. And likewise also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. 
And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear, for now on you will be catching people. And when they had brought their boats into land, they left everything and followed him. Luke's gospel, like I said, uses a Greek word for catch instead of fish. And when I read that, I started wondering, what's the difference between catching and fishing? Think about that imagery. When you go fishing, you are going to where something is. When you fish, you use bait to lure in the fish. Catching is being ready to catch whatever is being thrown at you. Think about catching a ball. Annabelle loves to play ball with Ba, a.k.a. Barry. She sits about three feet away from him as he's sitting in his chair, and she throws the ball to him, and when he catches it, she says, Ba, you catched it, you catched it. She gets so excited. Well, right now, we're all trying to not catch the virus, right? Simon and his fellow fishermen used nets, and whatever fish were already there swam into the net and got caught. They just needed to be in the right place at the right time. So why am I bringing this up? What does this have to do with Jesus calling Simon about catching people? Well, this call to Simon and ultimately to us, it's a call to evangelism. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a very negative connotation with that word. When you hear evangelist, what or who do you think of? <laughs> you all have something in your head right now, I know. I think of a charismatic, slick-talking orator who can stir up emotions. I think of people standing on a street corner telling people that they're sinners and hell is waiting for them. Now, I know that's not fair because there have been many sincere people that God has used to speak a word of truth and hope. Billy Graham is one of them. I think about that he was a man of integrity. But let's face it, the term evangelist has been tainted by those who preach for their own gain. And the Christian church at times has been much more about condemnation than salvation. Evangelism is bringing good news and hope. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And that's what we need to lead with. Well, after Jesus gave the call to catch or evangelize, Simon and the others pulled up their boats to shore, let, left everything, and followed him. They reprioritized their lives so that they could follow Jesus and live out their true purpose. Catching fish did not compare to following Jesus and catching people. You might be thinking, well, I'm not called to be an evangelist. That's just for a select few, people who know how to speak well and who are captivating. Well, if we're Christ followers, we are all called to be evangelists. You see, if we are following Jesus, we are his representative in whatever sphere of influence he has put us in. We are to bear his image. And the only way we can uh, be an image bearer is if we follow him and deprioritize our earthly lives. What we do and what we have should never get in the way 
of whose we are. Real evangelism happens when we reflect the image of Jesus in our everyday, mundane activities. People are watching. They're watching us. They're watching how we talk to a grocery store clerk. They're watching how we give of our time and our resources. They're watching how we put relationships over being right. And they watch how we deal with adversity. And people will either be drawn to or drawn away from Christ, depending on the image that we are bearing. You see, we have the ability to detract or attract people to Jesus every day. I want to share with you a reading from my favorite uh, devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. It was from yesterday's reading, and I thought, this fits absolutely perfectly. Here's what Oswald Chambers says. The greatest characteristic a Christian can exhibit is this completely unveiled openness before God, which allows a person's life to become a mirror for others. When the Spirit fills us, we are transformed, and by beholding God, we become mirrors. You can always tell when someone has been beholding the glory of the Lord, because your inner spirit senses that mirrors the Lord's own character. Beware of anything that would spot or tarnish that mirror in you. It is almost always something good that will stain it. Something good, but not the best. The most important rule for us is to concentrate on keeping our lives open to God. Let everything else, including work, clothes, and food, be set aside. The busyness of things obscures our concentration on God. Isn't that true? We must maintain a position of beholding him, keeping our lives completely spiritual through and through. Let other things come and go as they will. Let other people criticize as they will, but never allow anything to obscure the life that is hidden in Christ in God. And he ends with this. This is an easy thing to allow, but we must guard against it. The most difficult lesson of the Christian life is learning how to continue beholding as in a mirror the glory of God. Are you and I mirrors of Christ? Do people behold him or us? I can tell you that at this point in my life, the mirror is not my friend. And that Zoom camera, I don't know if you've noticed, but it magnifies every flaw you have on your face, which is why sometimes you'll just see my name on there and not my face. My physical appearance is nothing to behold, but more importantly, the reflection of my character is far from the reflection of Jesus, unless I am truly following him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. You know, what an appropriate message today with Mary. I can't think of anyone 
who has mirrored the reflection of Jesus more than Mary. Her whole demeanor, that smile, those sparkling eyes, drew you in. She caught a lot of people for Jesus just by being the reflection of Jesus wherever she was. And I think of all of our seniors. Some of you are here. A lot of them are at Covenant Living. And I think about how you have all lived with the complexities of human life and have modeled for so many of us what it means to follow Jesus in all of it. And I am grateful to every one of you. I can only hope to aspire to that. So are we ready to catch the people God has put right in front of us? We don't have to go fishing. We don't have to lure them in. We have people right in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our schools, in the grocery store that Jesus has put in front of us. Is there anything we need to leave behind that might be distracting people from seeing Jesus? Some characteristics can tarnish the reflection of that mirror. I know for me, complaining can be a big detraction of who Jesus is. And right now, we are all weary of this new way of life. I think back, what was it like a year ago? What was life like? It was very different, and we're all longing for that, right? Paul says, though, the Apostle Paul, to be content in all circumstances, even COVID. So what does that look like as people are watching us as Christ followers? You know, I've started running through the, spirit, the fruits of the Spirit to help me evaluate how I'm doing. What am I reflecting? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. When I am not mirroring these characteristics, then I am not reflecting the image of Christ. And I have to confess, I am not doing a great job. Patience and self-control, those are really difficult for me right now. So how are you doing, and how are we doing as a church, as the body of Christ, how are we doing corporately? Are we reflecting the image of Jesus? Is the community around us drawn or drawn away from Christ? I think it's a good question for us to think about as we move forward in this new season here at Evergreen. We need to evaluate what we're doing and if any of it is distracting from who Christ is. I think it's a good time to evaluate personally and as a church body. When you walk out the door today, what will people see? Will they see the image of Christ or the image of yourself? Please pray with me. Lord, we come before you knowing that we do not accurately reflect your character because of our own desires and ambitions. Help us to see how your story is our story. And may, may, may we, like Simon Peter, see that leaving behind what is temporary for what is eternal will bring real life, 
life to the full for us and the others around us. In your name we pray, amen. It has been really good to be with all of you today. We gather to scatter. And so now, as we scatter to wherever sphere of influence the Lord has given you, may we reflect the image of Christ to a world that has a very distorted, mirrored view of who he is. May we reflect that image as we go about our mundane activities. And may we experience the Lord's countenance upon us so that we can reflect that to others. Go in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Amen. Amen.